Madden Luke's Sci-Fi Sanctuary. The year is 3013. The galaxy is scintillating in the mellow light. Two galactic pilgrims seek out vistas in the samurai future to bring forth the unity of the cosmic shaman. Opening the door of the pantheon of mystics, the evil sorcerer wizard powers the engine of science, seeking to forever alter the sacred balance, traveling on effervescent balls of summer fire. This week, Fermat Shroom. In the year 2007, an equation may or may not have been solved. Yeah, I, I don't think I've solved many equations, especially not recently. I don't think I've solved a single equation since... Well, no, that's not true because, like, sometimes my students get me to do, like, four plus four and stuff. <laughs> yeah, we, that's our math lesson where we teach. Um, ten years ago, I was actually teaching math to, like, in America, I was teaching. I actually got, like, like high school decent again, but it's all, like, <clears throat> it's gone since then. Right. And we're talking about math. Why is that? Because this week in the Sci-Fi Sanctuary, we are watching Fermat's Room. And this is Matt. And this is For Luke. me, it's my yeah. room. Is Fermat like your furry alter ego? <laughs> <laughs> is that your fursona, Fermat? Yeah, that's, um, that's why I have my hair all curly now. Okay. <laughs> I'm trying to yeah get that rocking. Anyway, yes, this, this is Matt. And this is Luke. And you already mentioned it's a sci-fi sanctuary. And um, Luke, how qualified are we to actually talk about math? I mean, my mum's a math teacher, but utterly not qualified at all. Okay. Would you Would you invite your mum to this one? No. Okay, so we invite some different <laughs> mathematicians. Uh, they're in North Carolina. Um, professors. Uh, and sorry, I for there's so many UNCs. Which one is it? We're actually at Wake Forest. Wake Forest. There we go. Okay. <laughs> Not a UNC. I have to remember all these like crazy like Japanese universities now because I have students trying to get into them. But uh, we have Sarah Mason and Jason Parsley. Hello. Hello. Hi. So. You know, at this point, we usually get to talking about how we first got into the movie. And I had sent I had sent suggestions. I think I sent Pi, um, Imitation Game, Beautiful Mind. You, you chose Pi, which was the most disturbing of the three, which was interesting. Um, <laughs> and they came back. Oh, is it Pi or Fermat's Room? I'm like, what's Fermat's Room? We, we should do that then because it's, uh, you know, completely new. So, yeah, it, to me, it was kind of like one of those art house films that you kind of get blindsided by and tends to stick in the mind for a while. Um, I, I guess it's a little cube-like as well, but I never saw a cube, so that doesn't matter for me. Um, and Luke, this was also your first viewing, right? Yeah, so I put it on last night while I was at the gym, thinking like, all right, I'll get through this film, I'll watch 30 minutes now. And actually, I was really into it. I like came home and finished it there and then because it was surprisingly a really enjoyable film. Um, but yeah, I'd never heard of it until you told me to do this. And every time I put it into YouTube, I couldn't remember if it was Fermat's Room, Fermat's Theory, Fermat's Cube. <laughs> Essentially, I found it, it. Right? Yeah. You got the link. And then, by the way, folks, this is one you actually can watch on YouTube. Uh, and you click the closed caption, you get the subtitle. So um, I'll, I'll throw it out to either of you. Uh, where did this Where did this movie come across your radar? Um, honestly, when you, so we thought about Pi, but we had both seen it before and it's super depressing <laughs> and I just, I, I can't do any more after watching The Handmaid's Tale. I'm just <laughs> done, done with that for a while. Um, so I just looked up what were some movies that had math in them and this one kind of looked intriguing. We saw Cube, we were trying to find something since it was Sci-Fi Sanctuary like Goodwill Hunting didn't seem like it quite fit the bill. Mm. <laughs> well, we did uh, Showgirls and Up in Smoke on this podcast, so there are points where we might, you know, break those rules a little bit. But uh, <laughs> so I, I'll, I'll throw the ball out to either of you then. For uh, I, I guess this is everyone's first impressions today. So I was, uh, I might echo Luke. I was uh, envisioning a movie that might be hard to get through. I was uh, telling Sarah, well. 
we've got to watch this by the time we uh, uh, we do this interview. So maybe we'll watch like a third of it one night. And if uh, if it's tough, we'll come back and uh, finish it off on another night or something. But uh, we we just wound up watching it all in one sitting. Kind of the time went by. We got I at least got into the movie. It's actually kind of shocking that we watched it in one sitting because even with TV shows, like we can't get through more than like 20 minutes at a time. So <laughs> it's impressive. Yeah, we're, we're kind of the epitome of overcommitted people with kids, two jobs, uh, life's just going by a little too fast, uh, even with a pandemic going on. And so uh, our, our viewing habits are irregular at best. No, I'm notorious for doing 20 minute chunks as well. This one, this one got the uh, the two view stamp of approval <laughs> from me. So it did take two nights, but I mean, you know, I usually start at like 11 or 11:30. So um, you know, and <laughs> it, it can interrupt my my time strolling through rice fields at weird times of night. So, <laughs> but yeah, yeah. So okay, that's interesting because I was. It really is out of nowhere then. That's kind of interesting. So just say, uh, you know, serendipitous uh, stumble into a film for once. Um, Luke, you want to- I had never know? heard of this film until uh, a week ago. And I think with the four of us, we might have doubled its YouTube views. Yeah. It, <laughs> it's also, it's one of those. So afterwards I put it into IMDb and it's one of those films that's got like a six from the critics, but like 80% from users. So I think people do just keep stumbling onto this film and being like, oh, this is actually not bad. Yeah, it, it's kind of fun. Um, and I think that we, we can get into the math in it, but, you know, it was some classic, like, type of riddles and stuff that if you pause it and think about it, you know, it was um, kind of fun to um, kind of go through there. And, yeah, it was kind of neat. It was engaging now, for sure. One thing I was thinking, you know, watching the movie is, are these more, would you, as math folks, would you say this is more like um, logic puzzles or, or actual, you know, math stuff? <laughs> yeah, most of them I would teach in a kind of low level math class that dealt a lot with logic puzzles. And some of these things I have even taught to freshman, sophomore students. But without the, uh, you know, the, the death crushing um, threats. Well, that's just college. Okay. <laughs> it was more metaphorical, the, the crushing and the death. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, a D-grade death. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think, um, I, what was I? I was a C math student. How, how did British grades work anyway? You go ABC? Yeah, we go ABC. Okay. How, how are your math scores? Oh, my math days. All right. I mean, okay. my mum was like I said, my mum's a math teacher. Oh right. I wasn't okay. getting away with less than an A. Okay. Then, <laughs> but I dropped it at the earliest age I was allowed to drop it. Okay. <laughs> I don't like subjects with right and wrong answers. I like subjects where I can bullshit my answer because then I don't have to study. Oh right, right. I, I, I aced the the that sort of thing on some of my tests. <laughs> I think I yeah I never took a university math course. I went through the whole thing without doing it once. Interesting. Um, Luke, you want to give us that? Summary then. Yep. mathematicians and an engineer are invited to an enigma-solving seminar. After leaving their cars by a lake, rowing across it, and following digital directions to a mysterious grain silo, they find themselves in Fermat's room. They briefly meet their mysterious host, then find themselves alone in a room which shrinks every time they don't solve a puzzle. Is it because the engineer killed their host's daughter? Is the host actually innocent and this is a lover's quarrel between the two younger mathematicians? No, this was all the older mathematician because he was jealous that the younger one solved an equation before him, but he actually didn't. The three handsome young ones escape. They throw the proof to the equation into the water and everything is fine. Everything is as it was, except for that one dead guy. Did, <laughs> didn't, didn't the other guy die in his car? Oh, right, right, right. That was, oh, it was on screen, but it was an mm. overhead shot. So the, the three young pretty ones get to live. Right, right. <laughs> and the two older actors have to die. Right.
Well, see, it's ironic because the three pretty ones were like the age that the mathematician died, whereas the, mm. the older guy got, you know, so everything went wrong in this plan, basically. Yeah. Um, I guess I got to put you on man in the chair duty for the actor's names. Cause I did have the IMDb up. Yeah, if we haven't said yes, this, this is a Spanish film that's, you know, has people that seem to be somewhat notable in Spain. It was, I do wonder how much of it we are going to get wrong because we watched a Spanish language film with YouTube captions. <laughs> <laughs> so they could be completely incorrect for all we know. We're doing a service. Or, or YouTube it out. will automatically caption anything, but you get what you pay for. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, he's you got that coming up. I just want a name or two to you know spit out. We had Alejo Soras was the I guess you'd say the main character, the one who kind of looks like Ronaldo. As I say, he's the pretty boy, and I did have a look at the IMDb myself. It looks like he does have a notable Spanish TV career. So I actually felt like I kind of recognized you know the older guy with the mustache. Yeah, and maybe he's just got one of those faces, but I felt like I've seen him in something. But looking at it, there's nothing on here I've seen before. Yeah, it's all it's, it's all a Spanish film, basically. Yeah. Okay, so I guess we'll just throw out they're they're pretty good in Spanish film, but um <laughs> are any of these people realistic? Do any of them have like weird quirks that you would find in academia? Oh, that's interesting. I mean I could say the engineer felt very engineer like. Uh he was uh rational uh didn't didn't tell anything long-winded and quickly got to the chase um, that's a good question though about the mathematicians uh i don't know they were probably all more attract much more attractive than the average <laughs> mathematician uh more more socially adept maybe um, well, there was the say? time when um, they said there's only one way to <laughs> figure this out. And they started writing on the board, like doing the equation. And they were like, no, we need to try it. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask, do, do you folks use whiteboards? I, I would go nuts on a blackboard. We, we use both. Okay. Um, but no, there's a, a contingent of mathematicians, and I am very much one of them, uh, who strongly prefers blackboards. And so I, I have a giant blackboard in my office and uh, always prefer to teach in a room with a blackboard. And people I... will argue about this stuff too. And they'll argue about the exact type of chalk. <laughs> There's some Japanese chalk that people really like. All right. Yeah, Japanese public schools do have the chalkboards. Um, everywhere I've been, I've taught it's like, you know, like private institutions, institutions, that sounds cool. Uh, but yeah, it's always whiteboards. And I'm, Thinking about the blackboards make my teeth great. So I'm actually kind of curious why you prefer the blackboard. I, I enjoy the uh, them for two real reasons. One, I find it much more satisfying when chalk goes onto a blackboard. Uh, there's this, it's not, maybe it isn't organic, but it just feels very natural. Whereas a pen on a whiteboard, my pen always squeaks and then I get gritty stuff on my hand. Uh, also with chalk, and this is probably because I've done it for years and years, uh, I'm, a, I'm a geometry professor. And so I draw a lot of pictures and I have more colors of chalk and my pictures come out better in chalk. Okay. Yeah. I guess for the whiteboard, I'm half of the time doing like John Lennon style doodles. So that seems to have uh, flowing pen motion works for me on that. I don't think I've seen a blackboard since I was in primary school. You haven't been in the public schools. No. My daughter's school is chock full of blackboards. Okay. <laughs> they, that's actually the student's job. They Every day, it's one student's assignment to go out and beat out the erasers. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I remember hearing as a kid that the reason they got rid of the blackboard is because they cause cancer. But then the British newspapers like to tell you that everything gives you cancer. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I, so I'm wondering if cell phones, you know, did it <laughs> in my case. I mean if you think about a work of, if someone's going to create a work of art that was going to go in a museum, would you want it to be on a blackboard or a whiteboard? <laughs> I, I mean, I, they're both I, risky I, business because someone could just come along and wipe it off. <laughs> <laughs> I will give, if you have all that like kind of pastel colored stuff, yeah, you could definitely make some cool art stuff with that. So yeah, I do remember the colored chalk looking nice. 
Yeah. You can't really shade with the white blood blockers. Sidewalk chalk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of chalk talk. <laughs> so um, you mentioned the, the one mathematician being sort of the engineer side. That had me thinking about sort of there's the, uh, you know, the, the practical, um, not physician, uh, physicist and the, you know, theoretical physicist. Is there like a divide like that in, in the math scene? There is a divide between pure mathematicians and applied mathematicians. Uh, and both Sarah and I are, are pure mathematicians whose work has a few applications. Uh, so we're staunchly on one side, but um, it's, it's not necessarily as, uh, as wide of a gulf as it is in physics. Okay, that makes sense. Well, physics is just applied math, right? <laughs> and engineering's applied physics, and you just keep going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you get holistic and say it's all the same thing in the end, right? <laughs> because my mom's a math teacher and my dad is a physicist, I hear that a lot. <laughs> <laughs> you know, bash heads on it. Well, maybe. I don't, not when I'm in the room. <laughs> Who knows what goes on behind closed doors in a marriage? Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Moving. Moving beyond the actors, I think that's really mostly what we have to say about the actors. So maybe talking about the characters a little bit, because we have the, um, I, I guess they, they really go with the, the young hubris vibe here. Yeah, he was Galloy, I think, the mathematician he was named after. But yeah, he was, I really like that it turned out he didn't do it, because he was such a like, preening little pretty boy at the start. I would have hated it if he was also a genius. <laughs> he was a total fraud. Yeah. <laughs> well, what is the pressure for that sort of thing? Is he just a total arse or is, is that something you would like snap to? Well, I mean, it turns out he did it to impress the girl. So he is just a total arse. Okay. <laughs> Which is so hilarious. It's really hard to imagine anyone being like particularly impressed with anything that we do. Well, that's exactly how teenage boys think, though. It's just like, they don't think like, oh, what if I went up to her and said her clothes look nice? It's like, oh, I have to solve this math equation so she notices me. <laughs> and, um... well, one thing they did spot on uh, was in choosing the mathematician names for each of the characters. Uh, we'll get to the the girl, I guess, in a moment. The woman. Oh yeah, I have something to say about that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, but so the main character was named after this French mathematician, Avery Scalois, who uh, whom every math grad student learns a lot about. He did some very foundational work, but he died extremely young uh, in a in a duel, which okay. I think they mentioned in the movie. But it's one it's one of these stories of uh, mathematics meets kind of a rock and roll lifestyle that just doesn't really happen much at all. Mm. It depends on what you mean by rock and roll. Dueling <laughs> with guns. That's, how, what's more rock I mean, the guns or swords? <laughs> yeah, was it a gun duel or a sword duel? I don't know. I think it was a gun duel. Uh, that, that, that was awesome. what I got in my head, but then I just when I got like Highlander images in my mind for a second, so <laughs> I was kind of excited about that. Okay, uh, yeah, you just you just um, sort of foreshadowed there. Yeah, yeah. Tell us about the girl. <laughs> well, it just bothered me. So, like Galois, Hib Hilbert, and Pascal were really famous mathematician names that like everyone's heard of. For the girl, they didn't even choose a mathematician. She was like a scientist, which maybe is okay since they had an engineer in there and not all mathematicians, but it it wasn't someone that I had heard of before. And there are women, you know, who people, at least in the math community that, you know, have heard of. Um, there's like Noder, Kowaleski, um, there's a few more <laughs> that are really famous. Yeah. You're really representing well here, huh? <laughs> but um, I mean, there there were uh, the black female mathematicians in Hidden Figures. Well, yeah, but there were some doing, of them like, were scientists. But, in this, yeah, so. fair. But there, yeah. there were plenty of uh, there were plenty of outstanding female mathematicians that could have been chosen. But the reason I realized later, though, the reason that they chose. Um, they didn't choose any of them as I, I did struggle to find one that w was young, that died I, young. They needed someone who died at 24. Yeah, and yeah. a lot of like, even some of the, like, um, yeah, most of them lived really nice long lives, which, you know, bodes well for me. <laughs> yeah. I guess this movie wouldn't have been um, as, as, you know, 
stylish with a bunch of 60 year olds. <laughs> <laughs> Would have been yeah, probably if they, if they limited it to female mathematicians from before 1900 who died in their mid 20s, uh, they might not have found anyone. Right. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I can see how they wanted that plot point. So that's how I got okay with the right. With their so that's why you had okay. I, I, so it's it's the the branding that got you wrong. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is the more in, oh, oh Pascal was the more engineer based. Pascal guy? was the engineer. Yeah. Okay. Obviously, and that, that fit them because uh, the uh, both Galois and Hilbert were very much uh, mathematicians through and through, and uh, Laz Pascal was uh, more of a man of math and science. And our mathematical jigsaw is named after Hilbert. Okay, you might have to hit us up on that. I don't know, maybe not Luke. I don't know. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right. So David Hilbert was probably at one point in time uh, the leading mathematician in the world, uh, and he assumed the senior statesman role. And so it's kind of natural that uh, the old established mathematician in the movie. Uh, garnered his name. And Hilbert is noteworthy for a lot of things, but in particular at the turn of the 1900 century, he gave an address where he laid out 20 some of the most important unsolved problems in math. Kind of his deal was making math more, um, be on more of a solid foundation and getting the whole community together to, to work on things. Uh, and so Nothing in David Hilbert's life that I know of, though, leads you to think he's a murderer. <laughs> <laughs> well, he, he was good at keeping it under wraps, I guess. <laughs> well, maybe that's part of the role of the character. Maybe that's why he made himself Hilbert, so that he wouldn't be suspected. Title's a tease. It should be Hilbert's room, shouldn't it? Mm. Yeah, that yeah I guess that's part of the twist. Is that wasn't too much of a giveaway, right? Doesn't doesn't roll off the tongue as well either. So, <laughs> so then, yeah, we do have Fermat, our fifth, who we think briefly is the bad guy, but is actually a victim. Um, mm -hmm. He's kind of this adorable little old man, so I was glad he didn't turn out to be our arch villain. <laughs> <laughs> kind um, of a bummer the way he died, though. <laughs> yeah, that was a shame. What's that? Well, oh, just, oh, in the movie, right? Yeah. Okay, I thought we were talking about the actual Fermat. <laughs> <laughs> Horror movie death. <laughs> uh, I have no idea how he actually died. No. I, I think he lived to a, you know, I guess the appropriate age in the movie. Yeah, 60. the age of that dude. <laughs> um, I, again, I'm going to toss the ball your way about uh, talking about the the actual Fermat for a bit. Yeah, so he was uh, he was French, uh, Pierre de Fermat, to give the French pronunciation, and. Uh, he was very noteworthy at the time, even it was unusual. He was, I, I think, a lawyer. Is that right? I think, so. um, yeah. He was not it a professional like... mathematician, but he, this was the 1600s and he did a lot of mathematics and did it very well. Uh, so he proved a, a theorem in uh, number theory, prime numbers and so forth called, that's now called Fermat's little theorem uh, because uh, Fermat's last theorem uh, is what he's famous for. Uh, this says, uh, if you generalize the Pythagorean theorem, uh, x to the n plus y to the n equals z to the n uh, can't have any known integer solutions uh, for n greater than two. This was a huge unsolved problem, uh, probably one of the two biggest pro uh, math problems that's been solved in my lifetime. Uh, and it was solved, I remember, it's one of those things where strangely, because I'm a mathematician, I remember exactly where I was when I heard it was solved. <laughs> I wasn't a mathematician even then, but I was, uh, uh, I was uh, on campus uh, doing some summer research for one of my professors. And then one of the grad students came in, this, this was a, an economics grad student and just announced it to me. So uh, I was kind of blown away. Well, and something interesting about that theorem is in his, he had these notebooks, uh, Fermat had these notebooks that he would write in and he wrote that theorem um, down in, in his notebook, but he was, I guess, writing in the margins and he said the margin was too small to contain the proof. So he didn't actually write up his 
proof. So people don't really know if he actually had the proof correct and just really didn't get it in there. Or um, if he, if he didn't, you know, if he kind of had simplified it a little bit in his head. I, I got two quick thoughts. There's a, a Star Trek episode. I remember Captain Carter specifically mentioning that um, it still had not been solved in the 24th century, of course, before it actually had been. So just kind of a, a, a fun, um, you know, thing there. And also I realized I, I just came out I, I, I look sometimes I tell you some of my words come out like surprisingly deep south yeah Burmat. Burmat. <laughs> <laughs> so now that I know I've been doing it wrong yeah uh, I, I said the words that still whenever I say southern it comes out southern and um <laughs> I still use the word y'all which is especially weird in our situation I think yeah but people everyone uses y'all now it's been co-opted okay <laughs> No, I've been using it so much. I had to start using it. It's my fault. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Gender yeah. neutral, unlike you guys. So. Yeah. True. <laughs> I don't know. I, I've taught all female classes, you guys, I guess. But I, well, it's at the group, right? So. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. yo is better. Yeah, yeah. No, it's a very useful term. That's why I continue to use it. Um, otherwise, I, I guess I flattened out my accent somewhat. But uh. <laughs> Speaking of unsolved theorems, the film um, revolves around Goldbeck's. Still um, unsolved. That, yes. So <laughs> at the end of the film, they throw it in the water and he says, oh, look, the world is unchanged. But I seem to recall this one actually is quite important for computer security or something like that. It touches uh, number theory, which does uh, show up a lot in computer security and encrypting information, the standard algorithm that's used on your computer, you log into your bank, uh, you tell them what you want to do with your money. And uh, assuming nobody's hacked in, uh, it's all secure. The algorithm that's protecting it is based on um, prime numbers and trying to multiply two really big prime numbers together uh, and then daring anybody to figure out in this say hundred digit number, which two prime numbers you multiplied to get it. Right. What uh, I'm gonna guess is um, he probably has a photographic memory, quickly memorize the thing and then tossed in the water. Eh, That's a perfect crime. <laughs> <laughs> For Ma's he, room two, the yeah. photographic memory. I yeah. like it all. And then he creates Bitcoin. <laughs> <laughs> Because, yeah, that, that's still like the... Then he really would be a super villain. Yeah, really. <laughs> he, he was the real villain of the movie, I guess. Um, I've never been in an escape room. I don't think I enjoy an escape room. Uh, does any Has anyone done one of those? I've actually created one. So um, the Museum of Anthropology at Wake Forest, the director wanted to make a... Um, anthropology-based escape room where we made um, questions and activities kind of based on the um, exhibit artifacts. And we got our students together. We actually had two, he had a first year seminar um, on something related to the museum. And I had a first year seminar on puzzles and games. So I teach a first year seminar where I, you know, have students, um, use math to solve puzzles and like I teach them how to count cards black and blackjack and things like that. Um, and so we got those students together into groups to come up with uh, problems using the artifacts. And then we made it into, uh, we had some, some of the students from that class stayed on and worked with us over a summer to develop an actual escape room for the, for the museum where people that visited the museum on campus could go in and like do the escape room on it. It was really, it was really fun. And so in the process of um, 
prepping for that, we went to a really bad escape room in town that was at a like rundown mall. And, and they, it was a zombie apocalypse and they like poured water on us that was supposed to be the zombies throwing up on us. And we took, we had taken this class of students. So two classes full of uh, Wake Forest freshmen um, to this escape room and they were terrified out of their minds. It was, it was all dark and it was, it just felt like a place where you really could have some serious bad things going on. And I remember one of the athletes like grabbing my arm and saying, don't leave me, Dr. Mason, stay here with me right now. So it was, it was an experience, but the anthropology one was, was quite tame and, and a lot of fun and a little bit hard. <laughs> I, I was going to be like, how can you solve it? But is, is it still there? It's not. It was an exhibit for about maybe about six months. And um, yeah, basically it was really cool. Like you had to kind of interact with the exhibit to understand, like you would learn something about the exhibit while you were uh, solving the problem. And so there were certain things with, um, there was like a um, map, like to give just one example, there was a map that was showing migration patterns and then you use that to trace out on an ipad you know how you have the little dots and you make a little pattern to unlock the okay. ipad and so it was things like that okay cool yeah i was thinking, i had a dream escape room like a few months ago i mean it was in my dream right it was our company party but it was the crazy dream version it was a black room with flashing images of the war of 1812 in black and white and I had to like find the door or something. I mean, uh, of course it doesn't make sense as a dream. Did right. you go to a sensible one, Luke? I've never been to an escape room. So where my brain kept going in this was like to video game equivalents. Mm -hmm. um, do you know Professor Layton? Oh yeah. <laughs> this whole film really reminded me of Professor Layton, the old um, DS game where you've got like this Victorian gentleman and his child sidekick and you solve a mystery, but he's constantly, oh, this reminds me of a puzzle. And then you have to do some classic little logic puzzle and a few of them i'd seen in there before i uh, kind of maybe want to go and replay one actually yeah yeah, yeah. see you, you got my my gaming knowledge spot yeah yeah they have ds games i'm not a gamer except oh, for ds i had a few years so i was always on trains or in taxis and i had a ds <laughs> so yeah, it made me want a version of this film where it's just a little less dramatic and you can just take your time and enjoy all the puzzles <laughs> I wonder if the version of this now we're being on Zoom, it'd be like all the characters on Zoom and they're in their own rooms with like four hydraulic presses on like each of the rooms. <laughs> yeah, yeah, trying to solve each other's puzzles. But... Yeah. And then having like a completely separate Zoom call with the problems. And yeah. And then and then it turns out the bad guy who's behind it all, he's just sat in front of a green screen. His room's not shrinking at all. <laughs> <laughs> hey, huh? okay. That's interesting. Uh, Jason, any escape rooms for, for you? Did you try Sarah's? <laughs> no, I didn't. I, the reviews were so stellar that I, um, I, uh, yeah, I really did mean to get over to hers, but uh, point it, of contention there. Yeah. <laughs> thanks, thanks for bringing that one up. But, uh, <laughs> oops. <laughs> no, I am. Um, I mean, for me, I don't. My mom like did it. Though. My mom tried it with me. Okay. He didn't escape. <laughs> you didn't gonna help her out, man. Okay. You'd have to help me out. I'm. Yeah. I just. I'd probably just like start staring at the wall or something at some point. I, I don't even like haunted houses. Yeah. I just, I just don't like things jumping at me. I don't know. I guess the escape room's different though. It's supposed to be a slow creeping terror, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So. I guess I always did the riddles for the Easter egg hunt. That's the closest I've come. The riddles for the what? What Easter egg hunt? When we do an Easter egg hunt in my family. Is a, is a series of riddles that you follow and eventually you find all the Easter eggs at the end. Oh, okay. Now my folks just sent me out in the backyard. Yeah. Or something. Well, my mum used to write them until I got old enough that I could write that one. So then I used to write them. Um, before we get too deeply into the math, there's the design here. Uh, what I do, like, it's a, it's a very David Lynch room. <laughs> Looks like, mm -hmm. like that Twin Peaks room a bit. What I really liked is it had the pattern on the walls which showed you exactly how the room was shrinking. Yeah, the credits have that. Because yeah. when the credits are playing, I was like, oh, is, are they trying to teach us geometry? But it's like, <laughs> yeah, oh, okay, there actually is some you know, mechanics yeah. here on how this works. But it's like a little bit of foreshadowing. The yeah. wallpaper pattern is the four interlocking walls. I forgot to get my notes in front of me, but at some point I was like, is this just the feature film version of the uh, Star Wars trash compactor scene? 
It was very interesting, especially when they started to put the piano in between it and stuff. Yeah, yeah, the, the bookshelf, all that. So it yeah. definitely brought that to nothing, you know, grabbing people from underneath like in Star Wars. But <laughs> <laughs> it really bothered me, speaking of the piano one, that they didn't like just go ahead and, and solve the, like they knew the answer, but they're like, no, let's wait and see what happens when, right. do you know what I'm talking about? When they, they like let it go ahead and press because they thought it might stop. Like they thought their plan was going to work. Like, why not just go ahead and prolong your time? Like, you yeah. can test out your theory when you have to. Yeah. It's like a few months ago, we did Tenet. I said, Tenet rubbed me the wrong way at the start by curb stomping a cello. So, <laughs> <laughs> Tenet, Tenet. I always want to say Tenet. Well, that's what the signs say all over the place in Japan, right? All the empty buildings, Tenet, Tenet, Tenet. <laughs> in Katakana, I can at least read that. Okay. <laughs> I did like later, though, when they tried to plan with the bookcases, he's like, okay, we've got the solution, but let's at least finish our minute to buy us time before the next puzzle. Mm -hmm. That was, but then he went and threw the PDA into the books. So he lost all the brownie points he got for that one. Maybe he knew he was going to do that. So he was just trying to, you know, lessen the blow a little bit. Some of the puzzles themselves, I guess I, I can't quite recall off the top of my head, uh, but um, you folks said that you were um, actually teaching some of these in your classes. The one that uh, stands out to me on that the most is um, it's a variation on something called the Knights and Knaves. So you have, you enter a land where um, everyone is either a knight, which means they tell the truth at, at all times, or a knave, which means they always lie. And you they may say something and you have to figure out what happens. I believe in this problem, was this the two paths one where you- Yeah, yeah. one door is freedom and one isn't. Yeah, and so um, that type of problem, I think um, Marvin Gardner wrote, he, who's someone who has a lot of like books about like mathematical based puzzles and, and that sort of thing, like recreational math. Um, there's a, I have a number of books um, that have different questions like that, that I talk about when I teach logic to my, what's called discrete math, which is discrete versus continuous. It means you have like integers, like one, two, like counting numbers rather than um, real numbers and fractions and all that. But we talk about logic and proofs and that sort of thing. And that's kind of a starting point. And there's lots of different, you know, fun questions like that, where you have to figure out what they're actually telling you or who's, you know, who did it or that sort of thing. So it's that type of problem I, I do with my students a lot. Uh, one problem, another one of the puzzles that I, I've taught to students, uh, I forget the exact context, but they had uh, a four and a seven, and they needed to make some uh, uh, some other number, maybe three. Like the, the liquid. They had, they had to make it. They had to measure nine minutes. Mm -hmm. with uh, a four hour yeah, glass and seven right. hour. Yeah, power with the two hour glasses. And not only have I taught this, but since this is a, a movie podcast, uh, that same puzzle had shown up in a blockbuster hit. Yeah, uh, uh, Die Hard. Die Hard. <laughs> and so I've actually shown yeah. that clip. And where my mind went was I immediately started imagining Bruce Willis and Samuel L. Jackson in this movie. Yeah. <laughs> Very different movie. <laughs> I, I don't think I could buy Bruce Willis being that sharp on the numbers. <laughs> I could believe, I could believe Samuel L. Jackson is a mathematician, that's, I think. That's why I didn't bring him yeah. up. You know, throw some glasses on him, sort of that... Um, that like unbreakable look. Yeah, 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 yeah. You could buy him there, but Bruce Willis. Uh, yeah, when has Bruce Willis ever played a smart guy? <laughs> and Die Hard with a Vengeance. Yeah, I mean, it took him ages to solve that puzzle. <laughs> we did press pause to solve the puzzles rather than give ourselves a minute. Um, uh, mainly because we didn't want to miss the movie while we were solving them. Though. Right. Yeah. yeah. But that, that might be one point of contention from a mathematical viewpoint. Rarely, e even though in, uh, in an elementary school and high school, you're always given time tests for 
for mathematicians, time is rarely so urgent. Mm. We like to sit around and think for a long time about things uh, that maybe don't have as easy of answers as some of these logic puzzles do. Um, so the one minute timer was uh, uh, very pressure filled to me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was a, a film that you felt that pressure. Like it was mm -hmm. very fast paced. You had the, the room shrinking in real time. So it was a very tense movie. It did pull that off. You end up having dreams about that test you didn't study for the night after. <laughs> I mean, I, I have dreams now where it's like I haven't done my homework or studied for a test. Like, oh, I haven't gone to school for 15 years. <laughs> Why am I dreaming about it? <laughs> well, you spent a lot of time doing it and oh. it was the same thing every day, right? It tells you that there's something wrong with the school system if it's giving me that much anxiety this long after. <laughs> <laughs> I was sort of thinking, where, where's the line between like a mathematical logic problem and a, and a Zen cone, <laughs> you know, a Zen riddle? I mean, it's whether there's a solution, right? I think it's the... Yeah, but some of the math problems, again, we, you know, for math, for math wasn't solved until recently. So before it's solved, is, is it a Zen cone? I guess Goldberg's, if you, did you ever think about it or anything? I don't know. <laughs> wrapping your head around an impossible thing. Does that, you know, have a different thought process? I was going to say there, there is definitely uh, a line where mathematics just leads into philosophy of thought. And, uh, and, and so it's not so far away to get to the Zen Cohen, uh, but, uh, but mathematics is always grounded in being able to, um, answer questions like this, or at least uh, state what your assumptions are and, and where things are going. And so there, we do arrive at logical paradoxes in math, but- um, I, I, but guess I guess, how, I guess the question I'm thinking is how often stewing on one of these things would your mind sort of get in the zone? That's what a Zen cone's supposed to do, like kind of like mm -hmm. get your mind like outside of itself, right? So, Want some of these more tricky sort of, you know, like a like a form of meditation almost. How how often would do you get a problem that might? I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's the charm of being a mathematician, or uh, if it works. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I guess I feel like when I'm really like engaged in my research problems, which ideally will have a solution, we don't know, you know, because we're we're trying to prove something and maybe it does, maybe it doesn't, hopefully I can find it. But when, when I really have time to just sit down and, and think about a problem, it's definitely kind of a, a Zen-like state. And one thing that I've noticed that's really interesting about that, when I get close to a breakthrough, I usually pause and go and do something totally different. It's, it's almost like my brain is like, okay, I need to internalize all of that and then comes through later. Yeah, I still like to make lots of music. So sometimes I just need to like, I'm working on something, I just need to leave it for months even. I, currently, I, I'm actually waiting for a drummer to come through. But I'm just like, eh, it's actually probably a good idea just to not even think about it for some time. I mean, I guess that's, so I guess that's, you know, in, in life, you, you want to have your intention and do whatever that is, and then kind of forget about it. Because if you're too focused on it, it's, it's uh, you know, it's self-defeating. <laughs> Yeah, that's always the advice I give and receive if you forget something, right? So oh, I can't remember this name. It's well, stop thinking about it and it'll come back to you. But it's very difficult to consciously stop thinking about something. <laughs> um, yeah, actually, I'll, I'll go ahead and ask you, Luke, as well. Um, where, where do you find your zone? My zone? Yeah. Uh, I go hiking. I know you go hiking. I get but... very far away from everything and just find some quiet. Right, right. For me. Okay. I guess that's it. I do the same thing. Not quite as hardcore up the mountains as you do, but I usually don't quite have the time for that. So yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I, I if I have a couple of weeks where I haven't been able to go hiking, then I feel like my brain is full of stuff, and I just need to go very far away from everyone and everything. We'll <laughs> find that again. Yeah, I mean that's well, you know where I live. I can basically, I mean, for me going hiking, you can get that reasonable hike within what five minutes from my house. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't have to go too far. I just choose to because I'm a lunatic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is a weird thing. I'm kind of curious because, um, I, you know, I never lived in North Carolina, but can you just walk around at night? <laughs> yeah. 
Okay. I mean, you, you know my old neighborhood. It's not a place that I would walk around at night, especially with a guitar on my back. <laughs> oh, you mean like safety-wise? Yeah, yeah. Just in Japan, it's never a concern. You never are worried that anything would happen. Oh, I see. Yeah, I mean, it depends on where you are. Like, like most of the U.S., I feel like. No, I, I remember, you know, playing like shows in Atlanta. You, um, I remember going to a practice once in like a real like demilitarized part of town where we were like literally like running from the car to the door of this house like it was a zombie movie because there were just like <laughs> people like on the corners of, of the street just like, oh, no, when they notice us, they're going to come and talk to us. And they were all kind of whacked out. So <laughs> kind of weird <laughs> stuff. Um, we kind of found this. I'm not going to say we found this movie in a dumpster. It could, it could be a very big thing in Spain, but I'm actually surprised how this was actually kind of new to everyone. So usually we get to the question of like, how does it hold up? But it, it didn't really mm. hold up to start with. Yeah. Or did it? I mean, it's good. Is it just that Spanish films just are not like, when was the last time you watched a Spanish film? I'm, I'm stewing on that. I know I've seen a few, but I went through like an art house phase. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, I think this, might be the first time I've ever seen a Spanish language movie. So oh, maybe well. it's just that they don't get brought over to the West as much as you, well, it is the West, but you know, to the English speaking audience mm -hmm. as much as they deserve to. I guess, how many French films have you seen? Does Fifth Element count? No. No, that, zero. Amelie. <laughs> <laughs> Leon the Professional. Blue, the, the Red, White and Blue trilogy. The, I think that there's a lot of really good Spanish art house films. I, there was like Almodovar uh, yeah. is Spanish, and so uh, that's that might be most of my experience with Spanish films. But I, you know, I, I I did think this one slotted into that Spanish art house vibe. Mm. Did Almodovar do the um, Itimama Tambien? Was that an art house movie? I don't even know which ones I, are like. Hey, if it's not an English title, it's probably an art house film. <laughs> We, we, you know, in the States, we can't, we can't deal with those. Uh... <laughs> I always find it funny when I talk to a student here and they're like, oh, I'm into foreign film. And my brain briefly thinks, oh, that's cool. They like, uh, and I'm like, no, they mean they like Hollywood movies. <laughs> oh, right. That is foreign film to a Japanese child. <laughs> so, mm. Oh, you watch like French? Oh, no, you just watch the Avengers, right? I get it. <laughs> foreign films like the Avengers. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I just pulled it up. E2 Mama Tambien was not Peter Almodovar, but it uh, was about the same time frame, 2002, out of Spain. Okay. Yeah. I'm so you're thinking about art house experience. I'm Spanish prisoner, but that's just because it has Spanish in the title. That's the one yeah, we saw that. Though. I remember that one. That, or at least I saw it. Didn't we see, I feel like we saw that together. I think, I think it had like a similar tenseness to it. And I think a little after this movie, there was a wave of Spanish horror films. Like, I think Wreck was Spanish, and that did pretty well. So maybe, yeah, this film just came out in between waves of Spanish films making it over to the English language. Um, I, I guess the art house director likes Louis Buñuel, but when you watch, actually, when you watch his film, sometimes, like, even for me, I'm like, is this a Mexican one, a Spanish one, or a French one? Because he just kept bouncing around and making them in all three countries. So right. it's, it's kind of hard to tell exactly, like, so I, I've seen some of his Spanish films, but I don't know which ones they are. <laughs> but yeah, I guess the point is this film does deserve actually to be a lot more watched than it is. But it is on YouTube, so everyone can go and fix that right now very easily. No, that I, was a big relief when we realized, okay, when we went to go watch it, I was like, I don't know if this is even going to be available on, mm. on Netflix or Amazon. And we found it on YouTube, so that worked. I don't think I found anything... That was impossible yet. Uh, uh, Mark and I came close to that astrologer film. Yeah, did you you caught, you downloaded it from YouTube and then like a week later it was gone. Like less than that. So, yeah. <laughs> but part of that was I even put in that like you are not going to be able to watch this unless you're really like looking for it. So, right. but that's because of like weird copyright issues and lawsuits and all that. So that's that's a little different. <laughs> um, I haven't seen Cube. Uh, who, who has seen Cube in this? Uh, group of people i may have seen cube when it came out but i was like 10 okay. so <laughs> i don't remember have either of you seen that no we saw the preview for it when we were looking at different potential options and it just didn't appeal to us even though i know it seemed kind of similar to this but 
There was something kind of kitschy about it. I don't know. I think it was trying too hard to be cool and modern back in like 2000. So it's going to come across very lame if you watch it here and now. <laughs> yeah. I, I, Whereas just, I think this one stands up uh, decently well. Uh, what, we're 14 years out? Apart from the mobile phones, this could have been made yesterday. Mm-hmm. Those were charming phones, though. So. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought maybe it was just like, oh, this is what phones are like in Spain. <laughs> 14 years ago. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's what they're still like in Japan for a lot of people. Yeah. And, and this is an ingenious, like, low-budget thing because they, they start off with a real nice location with the lake with that tassel turret or whatever in the middle. Yeah, I assumed that was going to be the room. Yeah, I, I kind of did think that for a minute. And then, yeah, and then the rest of it is mostly centered on one set. Like, talk about saving your budget. Yeah. <laughs> so that was pretty ingenious. Um, before we tie the bow on this one, are there, are there any other big points uh, anyone has on this one? Because, uh, you know, uh, we've talked about before, I don't want to be the guy that just finishes eating and, and runs away. Um, maybe looking at, I wrote down a couple of things, but yeah. Maybe to put this problem that uh, they had the proof of and then threw away into the water in, in context, uh, Goldbach's conjecture, they, they called it the most difficult problem in the history of math. And well, math is a subject filled with hard problems. So it's yeah. definitely up for debate and I, I, <laughs> most people would probably disagree. But what is really cool about it is uh, it's, it's a it's a problem that's easy enough to explain that you really could imagine this, uh, this young handsome mathematician explaining to a couple girls right. that he's trying to impress out, out in the opening scene. Yeah, that, that was definitely fun. I know he made me think of, um, dude, um, Frobisher and Cloud Atlas, that actor. Okay. He had yeah, that yeah. vibe to him. Some of the vibe. And like I said, he just looked like Ronaldo to me. So. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All I can see. But yeah, he had a little, little. It's like that vibe, like mixed with like two thousands era television touche. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he was definitely a little bit smarmy, so that was kind of fun. <laughs> oh yeah, he's I. He's the kind of character who just, you know, that he's got this one thing. He's like, oh, I'm good at this. How can I use this to get laid? <laughs> this was, that was his first thought. He's like, oh, I'm quite good at math. How can I use this to impress? <laughs> and then what and I, I loved is that works in Spain. Get, like I, maybe the culturally, it's more um, likely to to get you chicks there. I don't know. <laughs> maybe I also love that this is our first Spanish language film, and the second billing in the credits was like six names under chicas. <laughs> <laughs> That's how it works out sometimes <laughs> yeah that's the second people you see you see him and then you see all the girls he's trying to impress yeah, yeah, yeah. so they're just in the credits as chicas <laughs> you uh, saw that in the credits as well chicas yeah. <laughs> which is a name in japan have you had a chica no I don't i've had a mika but not a chica okay i used to know a chica but yeah yeah it, which seemed to, that was weird so some of the names just when you first hear them in, in Japan, like my sister-in-law's name is is Junko. And when you first read it, it's like, what, Junko? What? <laughs> so, but, you know, um, the one weird thing, I, uh, of course, my last name is notoriously difficult to pronounce, but everyone in Japan can say it perfectly, which is weird. Hmm. All Japanese sounds. <laughs> um, uh, hey, they can't do yours right can no, they? they have to put like a zoo on the end of mine because it ends in a and they put a little bit of a zoo on mine but after getting so many you know horrible pronunciations in the states it's, it's still so close that that's my first name they can't say here i'm ruku ruku yeah 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 it's come out as mato so yeah um <laughs> sarah's name works perfectly because that is a that japanese, is a japanese name. name yep there you go yeah and oh, they go to Jason. Jason. They can get pretty close. They to get it, pretty Jason. close. Yeah, yeah, they get pretty close to it. But no, yeah, students now like just like when they say motto, I just I'm used to hearing that. So they're like, oh, yeah. you respond. I'm like, well, yeah, that's basically my name now. <laughs> <laughs> Which we mentioned several times before. We have another coworker named Matt. So he he had to become Maddie. I said I changed my name. I I could go with like Zon or something. That would have been cool. But no, he's he's Maddie. 
and now he tells stories about himself as Maddie. Apparently, <laughs> annoys his wife because he called himself Maddie at home. <laughs> <laughs> Why are you calling me that? Do something else. <laughs> um, point, you know, getting getting this one into the garage, I guess. Okay, push <laughs> uh, it down into a cube. Crushing it down to a cube. Yeah, see, I'm just not on the spot, am I? <laughs> uh, can you tell folks uh, kind of what you're you're up to currently, I guess? I, I guess you're not like, you know, we're, we're bringing you in for, for the math, not for the internet presence, obviously, but uh, uh, what are you up to? <laughs> this would be the plug, but, and if it is a plug, that's great, but. Uh, <laughs> what are, like, what, what are, are you doing right now? What are you doing now? What's What's your summer gig? Yeah, what, oh. you want to talk about uh, your professional life? Yeah, I mean, basically the same thing I've been doing for a while. Okay, um, <laughs> now, I mean, the summer is nice because it's our opportunity to just really focus on our research and, and make some progress. So I'm finishing up a collaboration with someone from New Zealand where we were supposed to go and visit. But, of course, the pandemic kind of uh, killed that. But um yeah, you just had a research meeting this evening. Yes, that's true. Every week. Uh, and uh, so I work on, uh, Sarah counts things, and I work on uh, geometry and how shapes fit in space called topology. In particular, I tie rope into knots and study the math behind it. Uh, so I'm heading into a year-long sabbatical to just focus on my research. But during the pandemic, I made a, uh, a full set of videos uh, for students, not just my students, to watch. And uh, so I'm, I'm pretty excited about those um, cool. on all how to learn calculus. Uh, and so that's my internet presence right now. <laughs> <laughs> and so if anybody's listening, you can go and learn calculus from his videos. Um, I'll make sure to include the link. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what, do, do you know the link by chance? Let's see, uh, if you go to my webpage, which is uh, uh, wfu.edu uh, slash, uh, um, it's one of these academic uh, uh, addresses, P-A-R-S-L-E-R-J slash calculus, it's there. Okay, well, anyway, I'll, I'll include that in the links then. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, yeah. Doesn't well, exactly roll off the tongue. No, see, I make Luke say all this because uh, I just start stuttering when I have to do pluggy stuff anyway. Is that my cue? That's your cue. Okay, well, if you enjoyed this podcast, you can find it on Twitter at MLSFSPod. We're also on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Just search Matt and Luke Sci-Fi Sanctuary. And if you want to throw us a dollar a month, hear episodes as soon as Matt's done with them, you can go to patreon.com slash podcastio podcastius. See, it was so slick. I know, I hate myself. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, thanks for joining us tonight. And actually, yeah, for introducing this one, because it, it, it's, it's a cool movie. So, I mean, you stumbled into it, then you sent it our way, and hopefully we'll, a few other people might be interested. It's a nice, you know, taut thriller. I like it, so. Yeah, I'd have gone the rest of my life without seeing this film, so thanks. <laughs> yeah, I think without this request, uh, we wouldn't have found it either. No. Uh, so. I had never before this actually Googled movies with math in them. Okay. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, all I could think was pie. And to be honest, I think maybe I wasn't that. I, I we're gonna do pie at some point, but yeah, that wasn't. Eh, I, I remember it being pretty disturbing. For the longest I, time, I thought you were talking about Life of Pie. Yeah, I know. I never saw the movie. Was it good? It was okay. Good. It, it, the tiger looked good. Yeah, yeah. Book um, <laughs> was better. Oh yeah, the book I think was a lot better. Okay, I haven't read the book on that, but uh. I had a point to make. It went away. Let's see. Mm, this movie. Stop thinking about it. Okay. How are we getting out of this room? Uh, we're going to tear you up and throw you into the lake. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hit stop on that recording.
King Kong versus Godzilla. Godzilla versus King Kong. Lucy 